Hi, I'm Jason Hatcher, Managing Principal at Navigators Western Offices. I'm excited to welcome you back to The Western Edge, a podcast by Navigator in Western Canada. Earlier this summer, the Oil Sands Pathways to Net Zero initiative was launched by the five energy companies that account for 90% of Canada's oil sands production. The goal of this unique alliance is to work collectively with the federal and Alberta governments to tackle climate change and achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions for the company's oil sands operations by 2050. Today, we are pleased to be joined by one of the partners in this initiative, Mr. Derek Evans, President and CEO of Meg Energy. We're so pleased to have Derek with us today. You've heard it before, the West wants in. This is the Western Edge. Well, welcome, Derek. So uh, so glad you could join us today. Thank you so much for making some time. Oh, it's my pleasure. So, Derek, as, uh, as CEO of Meg, you guys have entered uh, uh, the Pathways Initiative, a part of representing, I guess, 90% of, of oil production in the country. Tell us a little bit about what the Pathways Initiative is and, and what its goal is. You know, the Pathways Initiative is um, an unprecedented level of cooperation between um, five different oil sands companies that, as you said, represent 90% of the oil sands production, stepping forward with more than words, stepping forward with bold action with respect to climate change and uh, putting actions behind uh, their drive to be net zero uh, by 2050. And I'd, I'd say that's the biggest differentiating aspect of this for me and the exciting part of this for me is we're doing something. We're not just talking about it. And uh, this group is totally committed to, um, you know, getting the enabling infrastructure, which is this first 400 kilometer pipeline, uh, CO2 pipeline from Fort McMurray all the way down to Cold Lake, where we would sequester the captured CO2. Um, you know, that's the first phase of this. We've got to get it up and running. Uh, but, I, you know, uh, to me, and this is something that I've been passionate about for a long time, is it's action. It's not more words. We've been talking about climate change for a long, long time. It's so exciting to be part of something that's actually going to make a difference and, 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 and start to decarbonize. Well, and that's the exciting thing, because like you say, we've been talking about climate change a lot in this country and around the world for quite some time. It might actually surprise some people that the oil and gas industry is, you know, believe, even believes in climate change, let alone has a plan to do, do something about it. How long has this been in the making? Is this something that you guys have just kind of pulled together in the last little bit, or is this something that's been in the works for a while? You know, it, well, you know, if I go back to 2007, you know, Alberta was one of the first jurisdictions to actually have a, uh, a, a price on carbon. So, you know, we're not coming to this whole sort of climate change uh, issue, um, you know, uh, as a, you know, thought de jour or uh, flavor of the day. Uh, this has been very much something that we've all been working on in terms of reducing our carbon intensity. But I think as a group, we collectively realized, um, you know, in the last six to nine months that 
we needed to take it to the next level and not, and that's just not reducing the intensity, the carbon intensity of the barrels that we're producing, but actually finding um, and enabling the key aspects of capturing the carbon um, and putting that technology and that infrastructure in place to reduce the 60 mega, 68 megatons uh, annual carbon uh, contribution that we, that we are making to the overall Canadian content of about 700 million tons a year. So this is a big initiative. It'll be one of the largest, if not the largest um, carbon capture projects um, in the world by the time we've got this up and running at full capacity. But um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's been in gestation for a long time. I'd, I'd say in the last six months, uh, clearly we've recognized that the technology that we need to enable and to get forward, driving forward, that's gonna have the biggest impact is carbon capture and storage. And that's what we're embarked on here. So Derek, let's unpack some of the technologies that would be involved. You mentioned carbon capture. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about, for those who aren't as familiar with it as, as we might be, what exactly carbon capture is, and, and is that sort of the key piece or are there other technologies you're looking at? So carbon capture involves um, taking the CO2 out of uh, smokestacks, for lack of a better term, turning it into a liquid, putting it into a pipeline and then sequestering or storing it in a deep underground reservoir, saline reservoir, um, where it will be permanently contained. That's carbon capture and storage. It's an important element uh, in that it um, allows um, investment. Uh, well, the pipeline and the storage part are absolutely critical to enabling the investment that needs to happen on the capture piece. And that's where the various technologies come in. Um, you know, there's a variety of different uh, technologies, some that have been in, um, in existence for a number of years and used in natural gas plants, like the amine technologies. You've also got some new technologies. Savante has a, a different technology for um, capturing CO2 and turning it into a liquid form and putting it in. The, the real benefit of this pipeline is it allows us to try different things, some things that we haven't even thought about today. It will enable us to um, reform natural gas into uh, CO2 and hydrogen. So this isn't a, only a benefit to the, uh, the oil and gas business or to the oil sands producers, but also to that next generation of uh, hydrogen production that we want to see as being a big driver of uh, 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 you know, energy in, in Canada going forward. This pipeline, this hub will allow a hydrogen producer or a fertilizer producer, um, anybody that basically burns hydrocarbons to co-locate quite close to it and have a place to put the CO2 that they're going to capture from their processes into the ground. So um, many new uh, uh, additional type of uh, uh, technologies, um, Apart from carbon capture and storage also, though, would be, you know, small modular reactors, nuclear reactors that, uh, you know, are, are probably, you know, 10 to 15 years away, but something that could be a big benefit and could help reduce the amount of carbon that's currently being produced uh, as opposed to, and that isn't a volume you need to uh, then uh, put away or store. So is it fair to say then that the goal of this project is not just to produce oil with zero carbon emissions, but also to enable other industries to perhaps bolt onto the system so that they could, like agriculture you mentioned, to lower their emissions as well? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, cement, agriculture, power producers, um, this enabling piece of infrastructure is not unlike the Trans-Canada Pipeline. Um, it created huge economic opportunities, not just for the people that produce natural gas, but for fertilizer companies that wanted to co-locate alongside of it, power companies that wanted to co-locate co uh, alongside of it. It's going to create um, huge economic benefits, large numbers of jobs, and, uh, you know, be something that you're going to look back on in 30 years and go, wow, we never thought it could have so many uh, multiples of uh, sort of, uh, what do I call, um, opportunities that we'd spring from it. You know, we're somewhat limited in terms of our imaginations. Maybe that's because I'm an engineer, but I, I, I think that the key thing is when you look at infrastructure like this and what it represents, um, 20 or 30 years from now, you'll see that, that it was a huge benefit and you couldn't anticipate all the different things that were going to come along with it that uh, created value. So the investment that goes into this, obviously it's going to be a lot of private sector investment and some public sector support is what you're looking for as well. Would this go to developing some of those new technologies? Would they be developed here in Canada or you know, how would that work? Because I know our research and development is something that Canada traditionally always pioneered. We may have gotten away from that recently, but is there an opportunity to kind of reinvigorate that tech sector? Oh, um, absolutely. Uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt. I mean, uh, you know, we've got a, a very vibrant um, tech sector, clean tech sector in, in, in Western Canada, um, but uh, it needs a place to put its products to work. Um, it needs a place to demonstrate that technology. It needs a place to get on the adoption curve. The adoption curve is when that new technology gets started um, and people start to work it, that's when the cost structure comes down. Um, this is a huge opportunity for Canada to take the position that it should have in the world as a leader in clean and clean tech, clean tech development and global leadership in climate change. Um, you know, so I've talked a lot about carbon capture and storage, but there's a large number of R&D uh, work that will be um, going on alongside of this in terms of uh, um, um, complementary technologies such as solvents uh, or hydrogen, all of the other components that are exportable R&D to the rest of the world um, and that can help them work to uh, achieve their, um, their greenhouse gas um, and Paris Accord type of commitments. Well, and, and, and I know that some of the, the, the funders or sorry, the partners in this uh, in this project have also been funding research into how do we take carbon that's already in the air. I know this what we're talking about today is preventing further carbon going into the air uh, to arrest that 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 piece. But but I understand they're also looking at how we remove carbon that's already in the air to, to actually lower the carbon that that's already there. No, you're talking about direct air capture. That's um, the word. There we go. Yeah. Um, and, you know, direct air capture is. Uh, you know, very exciting from the point of view that, you know, you can locate your direct air capture equipment right over your sequestration hub um, and you don't need a pipeline and you can put it, uh, uh, put it, uh, put it in the ground and get rid of it forever. It's a little expensive at this point in time, but, you know, uh, you know, the, the company that does this, which is a company called Carbon Capture out on the West Coast, um, you know, is 
uh, getting a lot more traction in the United States than it is in Canada. And, uh, you know, that's partly because we're, you know, we've got to create, uh, uh, you know, a, a conducive environment for our own companies that are developing these new technologies. We have to find a place for it to put the, this to work. Well, but, you know, when you th I've heard this before, you know, the United States, you know, 10, 20 years ago was our greatest customer. Now they've become one of our great competitors in, in the energy space. Canada can't be the only uh, country that is looking at this opportunity. Is, are we going to see competition in other parts of the world doing similar approaches to this? Um, you know, I think the when you look at some of the financial um, incentives that are available to uh, companies in the United States, there's something called 45Q, which is a, uh, a tax incentive that uh, provides, uh, you know, sort of federal funding for some of these projects. That's a very important part of what we um, in Canada need to start uh, uh, getting after um, storing carbon and starting to decarbonize. But one of the sort of lesser known points about 45Q is it also talks about where you can store carbon. It, uh, it talks about storing carbon in uh, depleted oil and gas reservoirs as opposed to just storing it in deep uh, saline reservoirs, which is what we're allowed to do in Canada at the current time. So, and that enables a company like Direct Air Capture to go out and say, okay, uh, I can find a depleted uh, oil and gas reservoir in the United States and I can set my equipment up there and actually put my carbon uh, that I capture away. Um, so it's, it's not just about financial incentives. It's about regulatory incentives. It's about um, some consistency and understanding about what the long-term price of carbon is going to be um, at the end of the day. But I don't want to uh, leave you with the impression that, oh, my God, there's all these hurdles out there and uh, this is going to be a really trying exercise. We have started the journey. We have got, you know, five CEOs of uh, arguably the largest oil and gas companies, the oil sands producers, they put their shoulders behind that. They teams have put their shoulders behind that. And, you know, there's if it was really easy, somebody else would have done it by now. But, you know, we understand what the obstacles are and what we're looking for is the province, the federal uh, and, and the feds to come together and say, if we've got a climate emergency, which we do in this in the world, Let's treat it like a climate emergency and let's get after making things happen on this front as quickly as we can so that we can demonstrate that we're a, a global leader in uh, reducing carbon, but also, um, you know, getting that clean tech sector up and running and it becoming an exportable part of, uh, of our economy, but also one that morally you can feel pretty damn good about that we're out there um, you know, creating the technology that other people are going to need to uh, reduce their carbon at the end of the day. It sounds like the knock-on opportunities for other industries, whether it be in Western Canada or, or across the country, are, 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 quite, are quite large. Um, do you see an opportunity for Canada to export this technology and, and potentially contribute to actually solving climate changes? Is that where we're going with this? Oh yeah, absolutely. Look, um, the, the carbon capture technology, be it uh, Savante um, or a modified amine system uh, that captures uh, that carbon in a more traditional way. Um, you know, there's no, I, I wouldn't want to leave you with the, fact, uh, the belief that there's a silver bullet. There's a variety of technologies, all of which we as Canadians will have the opportunity to perfect because we have a place to take the product that comes out of those technologies, 
put them in a pipeline and, and, and store the CO2. Without that enabling pipeline um, and uh, storage facility, you can capture carbon, but what do you do with it? Well, we can certainly hear your, your, your excitement uh, in the way you're describing this. You know, it might, it might like I said earlier, it might surprise uh, a lot of Canadians that the, the oil and gas industry is, is leading this, this charge. There's a lot of industries that have talked about climate change, but no one's really presented a, a detailed plan the way, the, way, the way you guys have described. Do you think you, the industry has done a good enough job of telling its story outside of Western Canada? Is there a bit of a disconnect that we're, we, we sometimes see between us and uh, in the West and, and our friends in the East? Um, oh, no. I, I mean, I, yeah, I, we have done a pathetic job of telling our story. Um, you know, I, 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 I suggest to people that, um, um, and I'm not going to characterize the existing group of CEOs that I'm working with on the Pathways Project in this way, but that uh, oil and gas CEOs perfected what I call the ostrich move, um, which is um, put your head in the sand if you see trouble coming or controversy. Um, this group of CEOs is, is quite different it, just by their demonstrated action in terms of wanting to do this. But I, you know, people, people don't understand our business. Um, you know, I, I get a little perturbed when people talk about innovative uh, businesses um, and you know they don't think that the oil and gas business is innovative. You know we drill horizontal wells. We do all sorts of things that help extract um, hydrocarbons at very economic prices. They become a big economic driver. But we are an incredibly innovative business. Um, and Canadians in the oil and gas business are some of the most innovative. You know if you're a expat working in um, around the world and you have a Canadian flag on the back of your jacket, it's not that you come from a, you know, a democratic country that's of interest to people as they assign a huge amount of sophistication and understanding of the technology that has been developed in Western Canada, be it um, how to manage sour gas, um, how to process high concentrations of CO2. Um, there's a ton of technology that's been developed already by our industries and um, exported around the world, not the least of which is our people. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, technology and innovation um, is manifests itself at the end of the day in, in, in terms of equipment and different ways of doing things. But it comes from a very innovative group of people. Um, and uh, that I'm not sure is particularly well understood by the rest of the country. What message would you have for, for maybe some of our younger listeners out there that are looking to start their career and, and perhaps have a passion for contributing to, to, to solving climate change or are into technological innovation, maybe haven't looked towards the West or Alberta in, in recent years as, as a place where they could really flourish? And you No, know, I don't think they probably have because I don't think they've seen the commitment um, in the past. I, I think, uh, you know, what we're what we're talking about here is really a step rate change. Um, it's, it's not words, it's action. And I think as we continue to not only talk about the action we're taking, but demonstrate the action and demonstrate the, you know, so that we're hitting some of the goalposts in terms of actually taking carbon out uh, and, and can talk about it and measure it. I think you're going to see a lot of young people say, hey, I want to make a difference. Um, I want to be part of the solution. And it looks like these companies are doing this um, and I should get on board and become part of the solution. 
We've talked a lot on this podcast over the course of the, uh, of the summer here about some technological advancements and maybe a different side or a different face of, of Alberta and, and Western Canada that, that our friends in Eastern Canada may not recognize. Um, how optimistic, if you had a, uh, you've got the microphone to speak to, to people across the country, how optimistic are you and, uh, about this project and, and what would you like to leave our listeners with? Wow. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly optimistic about this project. Um, and that's based on the fact that I get to sit in a room, uh, with four other CEOs every Friday morning and listen to their commitment in listening to, um, uh, how they're mowing down the barriers that stand in front of us that, um, and, and making sure that we're moving this forward. So, um, this will get done. Um, I, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, whether the timeline expands or contracts, but I guess if there was a message I wanted to send to uh, out across the country is, you know, we've got to find a way to enable these game changing projects, um, to, to move forward and to move forward quickly. You know, I, I, I'm challenged by the fact that, um, you know, we've got perhaps different perspectives at a federal or a provincial level. To me, you know, if, if we have this climate emergency, which I absolutely think we do, we need to address it like the emergency that it is. We need to put aside some of our differences. Um, as, as we have as CEOs, we've stepped to the table as a group and we're asking not only the federal and the provincial governments to to join us and to collaborate to get this done as quickly as we possibly can. But we think it's a huge model for how we should be addressing climate change uh, across the country. We can't do this just provincially, um, you know, every province by itself. We have to take on this, um, this challenge collectively and we've got to move forward quickly. I think that's a great place to, to maybe pause there. Uh, thank you so much, Derek. You know, it's amazing what Canadians can do when we work together, if we focus on on solving problems or, or creating achievement rather than what uh, what makes us different. Um, we've throughout our history have accomplished amazing things. Okay, we're back with some rapid fire questions. Derek, uh, what's the best place in Calgary for a power breakfast? Well, that is when we get to meet in person a little more again. 1886. 1886. I have been there before. Where's the best place to see live theater in Calgary or anywhere in Western Canada for that matter? Alberta Theater Projects. Um, so I understand, uh, like me, you, you do like it when we love the summer, but when the snow flies, you usually find something to do in the mountains. So do you backcountry ski or, or do you like to hit the resorts? I am a cross-country skier. So Cross-country um, skiing. I, uh, I love cross-country skiing. Wonderful. Derek, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, and we're really looking forward to watching this project and this initiative going forward. Uh, I know you've got a lot of Canadians cheering for you guys. Well, listen, thank you very much, Jason. And I, I hope we'll have an opportunity to check in and give you a bit of an update on the progress we're making at some point in time. We'd certainly welcome that. Thanks so much. Western Edge is powered by Navigator, Canada's leading high-stakes public affairs firm. Our show today was produced by Catherine Moore, Kayla Duty, John Gardner, and Kim Drapak. A very special thank you goes out to Derek Evans for joining us today. I want to thank you for joining the Western Edge over the past eight weeks. 
We will be back this fall for some feature episodes exploring the future of Western Canada. Have a great summer. <laughs>